All right, good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Come on, let me hear you. How you doing today? You doing all right? All right, so it's officially summer, right? It's officially summer. It is hot, and I saw what you've been doing this week, because uh, you've all been doing your selfies by the pool, selfies at the beach, selfies at the lake. You know, you've just been uh, grilling burgers and hot dogs, shooting off fireworks, having a great, great time. Hope you had a wonderful time this week. Some people think that the summer is actually the best season of the year. I mean, they, you can always tell them because they're all tan, right? They're, all, they're always laying out, that kind of thing. So how many of you here would say summer is definitely the best season of the year? Hands up. All right, there you go. Got a couple of whoops. All right, very good. All right. Now, some of you are going, no, 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 no. It's not summer. It is definitely the fall. The fall is better. It's cooler. There's football. You know, a lot of cool holidays. So where are my fall people that think the fall is the best there's my tribe right there. I'm a, I'm a fall, fallite, all right? Uh, and then others go, no, 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 winter is better because the snow, you get to go skiing, you get to do a lot of cool winter things. So any, any winter people here? All right, very good. Go ahead, own it. You know, some of them, usually the winter people are like, eh, you know, go ahead, man. There you go. There you go. Winter, I see that. All right, and then, of course, we're my spring people. Spring people, come on, they're, they're like, no, this is it, man. It's spring, everything's in blossom, everything feels great, it's spring. Okay, so we love our seasons, right? Every season, but here's what I've learned. I've learned that in life, you go through different seasons, right? You go through different seasons in life. You go through seasons when everything is new and things are fresh and exciting and invigorating, and we love those seasons in life when things are new. We also go through seasons sometimes when the day is long and the sun is hot and you're just going to endure, right? You're just in a season of endurance of doing the right thing. Sometimes you're in a season of change when the things that you knew before are falling away, and whether you like it or not, change is in the air. Sometimes you're in a season like winter when you feel alone or the things grow cold. Those are seasons as well. Here, here's the thing I want you to know. In every season, it doesn't last forever, right? It's just a season, right? It's a period of time. It doesn't last forever. But in every season, in every season, we can know God deeper. And we can experience him in a unique way in that season that we cannot experience him in other seasons times in our life. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Once you get your Bible, once you open it up to the book of 2 Chronicles, all right? This is in the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. This is where we're going to be today, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And uh, as you know, we're in our series called Winners and Losers. We're looking at kings in the Old Testament and particularly good kings and bad kings. Some are winners. They're great. Some are definitely losers. Uh, but every one of them has a lesson for us to learn about how to walk with God. And today we're going to look at a winner. We're going to look at a king, and his name was Jehoshaphat. King Jehoshaphat was definitely a winner. In fact, uh, you don't have to turn to it, but in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, this is what we read about him. It says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. He did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked by his command, not according to the practices of Israel. Now remember, remember uh, I told you before that Israel as a nation had a civil war and divided to the north and the south. The northern kingdom was called Israel. The southern kingdom was called Judah. Well, the northern kingdom was fraught with all kinds of idolatry, the worship of Baal and Asherah and all these kinds of crazy idol worship. The southern nation of Judah 
really held on to the teachings and worship of God, Yahweh God. And so uh, Josaphat is in the south. He is the king of Judah. And it says that he walked in his father David, that is King David, that he walked in his ways. Not only did he do that, but he actually went a step beyond that. And he sent out priests into all the other uh, villages to teach the people the law of God. So Jehoshaphat is definitely a good guy. He, he's, is he perfect? No. Did he have mess ups? Yes. Did he have issues? Yeah, absolutely. But even in those, he repented of them when God confronted him. He is clearly a man that's really seeking after God. And yet, even though he did all of that, he had a season that was really hard. Now, let me back up from that and say this. Many times we feel like, hey, if I, if I just show up for church, right, if I'll come to the church and if I'll give and I'll volunteer and I'll, I'll try to raise my kids right and I have my quiet time every day, okay, well, maybe every other day and I, I try to do the right thing, then God's not going to allow any bad things to come into my life. Have you ever heard somebody say, well, I have my quiet time, so I'm going to have a good day, right? <laughs> right? As if somehow having your quiet time and having a, what your day is, is is somehow related. I don't think that's in the Bible, right? But, but somehow we kinda, it's kind of almost a karma kind of thinking that if I do good, then good's going to come back to me, right? But the scripture teaches us that even when you are doing the things that are right, that we will still walk through difficult times. Now, why is that? Because in every season of life, even the hard seasons, we're going to learn who God is. We're going to grow. We're going to know him better, even in those seasons. And so Jehoshaphat has done everything right. I mean, mostly right, all right? He, he's definitely in the winner category, and yet he's about to walk into one of the greatest challenges of his life. And so I want to give you the lesson we learned from Jehoshaphat, all right? I'm going to give it to you right off the top of the talk here because this is important for you to, to think about even over lunch today, all right, and throughout the week. Here it is. I want you to write this down. Every season in your life is an opportunity to praise God. Every season in your life is an opportunity to praise God. Every season is an opportunity to praise God. And I'm going to show you this first season is a season of fear. I want you to look at uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of God. After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, together with some of the Mennonites, came to fight against Jehoshaphat. People came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast number from beyond the Dead Sea and from Edom have come to fight against you. They are already at Azazan Tamar, that is, in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat was afraid, and he resolved to seek the Lord. Then he proclaimed a fast for all Judah who gathered to seek the Lord. And they even came from all the cities of Judah to seek him. Now, you get, get what's happening here. Here's Jehoshaphat. He's doing everything right that he's supposed to do. He's even going above and beyond. And all of a sudden, he gets tragic news that just like uh, storms that are billowing up on the horizon, there is a storm brewing in the east, and that is a coalition, an evil access, uh, access of enemies, tribal nations gathering together from the other side, from the eastern side of the Dead Sea. They've already crossed over. They are now making their way up to Jerusalem. They're already at En Gedi. En Gedi is a place still today that you can go to. It's on the way up toward Jerusalem. They are headed your way. And this is a, this is a serious problem. This is a serious problem. And I love it. it says in verse 3, it says, and Jehoshaphat was afraid. I think that is an understatement deluxe, all right? He's terrified right? He's like, what's, what's going on? I mean, he, his life 
is being threatened. This is an existential threat to him and his whole nation. This massive army. And so what does he do? How do you respond when somebody threatens you? When somebody threatens your family? When somebody threatens you physically or threatens your career or threatens you know, your well-being? How do you respond when somebody comes at you and threatens you? Well, look at, look at what he does. Look at verse 3. What is, how does he respond? Verse 3, he resolved to seek the Lord. He calls a national fast. He calls the people together. He says, we've got to seek God together. Listen, all of us are going to go through a season of fear. Every one of us. We're going to face times that are over our head. The, the phone call we never wanted to get, the, the threat that comes on us out of nowhere, the, the crisis moment that comes. Every one of us is going to go through a season of fear. And I really believe that fear is probably the greatest weapon our spiritual enemy uses against us. Because if you can get us to be afraid, then we won't move forward. And we won't trust God. We won't share our faith. We won't, we'll just stop in our tracks if we're afraid. And so here is Jehoshaphat. He's facing this great fear. The Anxiety and Depression Association of America said 40 million Americans, 18% of the population, have an anxiety disorder. Now that, that just counts those that have a diagnosed disorder, but, but all of us go through seasons of worry. Some of you are, going, are chronic worriers. You go, I'm a worrier, yeah, that's me. That's my spiritual gift is worry, right? I'm a worrier, you know? Some of you, it's more than that. You have panic attacks that your heart begins to pound and you get short of breath and, and, and you feel lightheaded. Some of you, you just have this sense of dread of something bad that's going to happen, and you're so afraid that that's going to happen. How do you deal with that kind of fear? Listen, the only antidote to fear that I know is praise. Praise is the antidote to fear. In fact, in, in Psalm 56, verse 3, it says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you, in God whose word I praise. In fact, when you, when you fixate on your problems, when you constantly are thinking and, and, and running over your problems over and over and over and over, what happens is a fear grows. But when you fixate on praise and God and who he is, then all of a sudden your faith begins to grow, and it's one or the other. And so here's Jehoshaphat. He's dealt with this, this crisis situation, and he says, we've got to get before God. And so he gathers the people together, and he begins to pray. And I want you to see what happens. Look at how he prays. This is an amazing prayer. Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the Lord's temple before the new courtyard, and he said, Lord, God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? Power and might are in your hand. And no one can stand against you. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and who gave it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? They have lived in the land and have built your sanctuary in it for your name and have said, if disaster comes on us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and before you, for your name is in this temple, and we will cry out to you because of our distress, and you will hear and deliver. Now here are the Ammonites, the Moabites, the inhabitants of Mount Seir. Did you not let Israel, you did not let Israel invade them, when Israel came out of the land of Egypt, but Israel turned away from them and did not destroy them. Look how they repay us by coming 
to drive us out of your possession that you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this vast number that comes to fight against us. We do not know what to do, but we look to you. He prays, and he's crying out to God. And and, and here's what I want you to see. The way he prays is particularly effective for fear, to take a stand against fear. Look at, no, I want you to notice how he prays. Look at verse six. What does he do? He, he is, he's remembering God's power. He says, power and might are in your hand. There's nobody, God, that's greater than you. Who, can, who created the universe? You did. Power and might is in your hand. There's nobody that can stand against you. He's reminding himself. He's reminding the people of the power of God. Then in verse 7, he, he reminds them of God's faithfulness. Are you not the God who ousted the, the people here before us? That when we came into the land, that, that you pushed them aside, that they were giants in our eyes? And you did this, God. You were faithful to overcome a, a massive army. And you can do it again. And then down in verse 9, he, he reminds them of God's promises. He said, God, you promised that if we have trouble and if we will come to your temple and if we will pray that you will hear us and you will respond. And, Lord, here we are doing what you told us to do. You see that? As you're dealing with fear in your life, the way that you deal with that is by running to those three things. God's power, God's faithfulness, and God's promises. Since some of you are dealing with fear right now, and it's suffocating, it's suffocating you. I, I remember uh, several years ago, I was pastoring a church in Oklahoma, and one of the families in our church, young family, they had a couple of young kiddos. They had a, one little boy, he was about five, six years old, and they discovered cancer in him, and uh, they were at the hospital, and it was very serious, very tragic. And so they just kind of sent, sent out the 911 call to everyone in the church, their friends, to please come and pray for us. And so people came from all over the city and just kind of descended in this hospital and, and in this waiting room. And uh, they said, we've got to pray. We've got to pray for our boy. And so um, men and women just all gathered around them. And I will, I will never forget that moment. Because as we were crying out to God, there was a man that came who was a member of our church, very active, godly, godly man in our church. And he was from West Africa. And he began to pray in a way that I don't think I've ever heard since. I mean, he prayed heaven down. You ever been in a moment like that? I mean, he began to cry out to God in a loud voice. And he did exactly what Josephat did. He said, God, you are the one who brings healing. God, you're the one of great power. And Lord, we need you now. And we don't know what's happening, Lord. We need you to intervene for this precious one. And he began to quote scripture and pray it back and quote scripture and pray it back. And I, I do not remember the words, but I remember the moment. Because I remember that feeling of fear that was gripping everyone just began to melt away. And great confidence began to come into our hearts because we were in the presence of God. Just think what would happen if you're in the middle of fear right now. You've got a real crisis. You've got something going on. 
If tonight you, you call a few people on the phone and you say, hey, would you come and, and meet us in our home and we're going to get on our knees tonight, man, and we're just going to pray. We're going to read scripture. We're going to pray it back, read it, pray it back. We're going to call on God to intervene. What would keep you from doing that now? Well, what if, our, what if we as a church were able to gather together and pray over uh, folks? Like we do this even on our Tuesday nights, when our, our Tuesday afternoons, when our staff gathers together, there are those that are sick and those that are in trouble, and, and they will come and we will pray over them in the name of Christ and pray over them the promises of God. This is what the church does, and that is the way that fear begins to fade. It's when we pray this way. And he said, Lord, we don't know what to do. Lord, we, we don't have any clue what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I want you to notice what happened. When they began to pray like that, notice, notice what happens here. Look, look, at, um, look over here at verse uh, 13. It said, And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their dependents, their wives, their children. In the middle of the congregation, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Mattaniah, the Levite, Asaph's descendants. And he said, listen carefully, all Judah and all you inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast number, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against him. You will see them coming up the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley facing the wilderness of Jeruel. You do not have to fight this battle. Position yourselves, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord. He is with you, Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Tomorrow go out to face him, for the Lord is with you. I mean, can you imagine? I mean, they're crying out. You can just, just try to picture yourself. You're there and the host of people, they're all crying out, God, help us. And then there's one voice. That cry. I don't know if he had a guy to get up on something to get everyone's attention, but he cries out. Jerusalem, Judah, I have a word from God. And he said, listen, the battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. You don't have to fight this. This isn't about you. It's not about you. It's about God who has established you, the Lord who is over you. And this battle is really an assault on him. And he will defend his name and he will defend his own. Listen, I think so many times... When we go through crisis, we think it's always about us, right? I mean, isn't that true? We always think everything's about us, right? It's not everything's about us. And to realize, you know, many times you may be harassed with troubles and it has nothing to do with you. It's just that you're, you're God's kids. You know, 1 Peter says that the enemy prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And who does he look for? He looks for God's kids. He hates the Lord, so he hates his kids. Listen, it's not your battle to fight. It's God's battle to win. And our strength is in him, not in ourselves. And so we reminded them, listen, you just take your stand. You just trust God. God is going to go before you. His battle, this battle belongs to the Lord. And I want you to see what happens. Look, look at their response. Look at verse 18. Then Jehoshaphat knelt low with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord to worship him. Then the Levites from the sons of Kohathites and the Korahites stood up 
to praise the Lord, the God of Israel, shouting loudly. All right, if you ever need a, a, a scripture, say it's okay to shout loud in church. Here it is right here, all right? They shouted loudly. Now, what, what's going on here? All of a sudden, this, this man, Jahaziel, says, God's going before you. And, and so in response, everybody gets down. I think probably what happened was Jehoshaphat got on his face and everybody just did what he did. And they all got down low and they're worshiping God. God has spoken. God has promised. God's going before us. God is with us. God has heard us. And then everybody is down and then a couple of men stand up and they start shouting. And then a few more stand up and they're shouting. And a few more stand up and they're shouting. I don't know what they're shouting. Maybe hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. His name is great. And a few more and a few more. Who are these people standing up and why are they doing that? Well, you got to understand these people were actually set aside by King David as the worship leaders of the day. Those, those were the worship leaders, and their job was to stir up the people to worship God. And so in a moment of fear and crisis, they're standing up and they're praising God. And I think a few here and a few here, and I think finally the whole congregation is shouting, Hallelujah! Praise the Lord! He is going before us. He is good. They praised in the midst of their fear. Listen, you're in a season of fear right now. Some of you are in a season of fear. What are you going to do? You're going to let it just roll over you? You're going to let it to, to strip away everything that you have of confidence in God? No, no, don't do that. What do you do? You just seek the Lord and you just remind yourself of God's power. You remind yourself of his faithfulness. You remind yourself of what God has promised and you praise him in the midst of that fear. Listen, I believe that praise eats fear for breakfast, all right? And here's why. Because praise is based on truth. It's based on who God is and what God has done and, and what God has promised. That's all true. Fear is often based on what? Lies. Oh, you can't trust that. That's going to happen. You can't believe that. God's not going to. See, that, that's what it's based. So when praise shows up, fear has to leave. All right, when praise takes center stage, the fear has to go because praise is like light to darkness. When you turn on the, on the light, the, the darkness flees. And when you turn on praise, lies begin to run. Listen, what do you do when you're in a season of fear? You praise him. Let me show you another season, though. There's another season here, and that is a season of conflict. Not only a season of fear, but it's a season of conflict. Remember that every season is an opportunity to praise God, and now he's in a season of conflict conflict. I want you to look at verse 20, all right? Verse 20. In the morning, they got up early and they went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. As they were about to go out, Jehoshaphat stood and, and said, hear me, Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you will be established. Believe in his prophets and you will succeed. Then he consulted with the people and appointed some to sing for the Lord and some to praise the splendor of his holiness. Then they went out in front of the armed forces. They kept singing, give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love endures forever. So here they are, they're lined up the next morning, they're ready to go out to fight this incredible battle. I mean, it's this massive army, and I, I just kind of see Jehoshaphat on his horse riding back and forth in front of the troops saying, trust the Lord. Trust his promises. He's going to go before us. 
And, and then he says, by the way, where are those praise and worship guys? All right, bring them up here. All right, you guys are going to go up front. All right, let's get all the choir out front. All right, now you guys are going to praise the Lord, and you're going to sing while, while we march forward. And they were the tip of the spear. They were going out, and they were... They're going to sing, and they're going to sing of God's faithfulness. And I want you to see, uh, I want you to look, look at what happens here. Look what happens as they do. Look at verse 22. The moment they began their shouts and praises, you need to underline that in your Bible, by the way. The moment they began to shout their praises, the Lord set an ambush against the Ammonites, the Moabites, the inhabitants of Mount Seir who came to fight against Judah, and they were defeated the Ammonites and Moabites turned against the inhabitants of Mount Seir and completely annihilated them. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Seir, they helped destroy each other. What's going on? The moment they began to praise God, the moment praise began to ring out, the Lord, look at verse 22, the Lord set an ambush. The Lord set an ambush. Listen, uh, what do you think happens when we praise God? What do you think happens in the spiritual world? You know, we, we only get to see the physical realm, right? That's all we get to see. We, we only get to see what happens physically. We don't get to see what happens spiritually around us. In fact, I'm going to do a whole series this fall on spiritual warfare. So I, I'm not going to uh, teach all that yet. I'm holding some back for the fall, all right? But, but just think about it for a minute. What if, you could, what if God were able to peel back from our eyes or lift our veil and we could actually see with our eyes what happens spiritually when we began to praise God. What we know is that when we praise God, Satan has to flee. When we praise God, evil's on the run. When we praise God, enemies are confused. That's all that happens. It is a powerful weapon in the hand of every believer when we praise God. When we call on his name, it is a powerful weapon. I love what John Piper said. Piper said, spiritual worship and spiritual warfare should be carried out with singing. All right? There is a connection between worship and warfare. There's a connection there. And both are carried out through singing. Think about Paul and Silas. Right? They're in prison, right? They're in, they're in problem. They're in trouble. They've been beaten. They're, they're in fear and, and conflict. And yet when they sing the praises of God, all of a sudden the foundations are shaken. God shows up. Doors open. Same thing that happens in, here in Jehoshaphat. They begin to sing. The moment they begin to sing, the moment they begin to praise God, all of a sudden God began to move on, on their behalf. Let me ask you something. Do we have the same God as Paul and Silas? Yes or no? Okay, that's like very weak, all right? Uh, I'm going to give you a chance to redeem yourself. Do we have the same God of Paul and Silas? Yes or no? Yes. yes. And do we have the same God of Jehoshaphat? Yes or no? Yes. yes, we do. So why are we doing what they're doing? Why are we praising God in the midst of the conflict and saying, God, we trust that you are going before us? Did you know that the Bible says that even the littlest ones praise God that the enemies run? In uh, Psalm 8, verse 2, it says, through the, through the praises of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies. Listen, enemy can't stand when God's people praise. The enemy can't stand it when God's people praise. I think he throws his hands over his ears. He shrieks back when God's people call on God's great name. You know, the Holy Spirit is our great help when we face spiritual battles. 
The Holy Spirit that God put within you is our great help and hope when we face spiritual battles. How are we to be filled with the Spirit? We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit. How do we do that? Well, Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Be filled with the Spirit. How? Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord. You want to be filled with the spirit of courage, filled with the spirit of faith, filled with the spirit to, to do and, and be bold to do what God's called you to do. Start singing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Listen, are you in conflict? Maybe you're in a season of conflict, conflict at work, conflict at home, conflict in your marriage. Then praise him. Praise him at home. Praise him uh, put on the, put, turn it up on the, on, the, on the stereo at home. Turn it up, you know, uh, put on the CD, you know. Pray, put, it, put it loud on the speaker, the worship of Jesus. Praise him in the car. Praise him in the shower. Praise him wherever you are. And you'll see that he will go before you in every conflict. See, every season is an opportunity to praise God. In the season of fear, in the season of conflict. Let me give you one more very quickly. One more, very quickly. And that is a season of blessing. Look at, look at how the story unfolds. Look at verse 24. We're just kind of working our way through the story. Look at verse 24. When Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked for a large army, but there was only corpses lying on the ground. Nobody had escaped. Then Jehoshaphat and his people went to gather the plunder, and they found among them an abundance of goods on the bodies and valuable items, so they stripped them until nobody could carry any more they were gathering the plunder for three days because there was so much. They assembled in the valley of Barakah on the fourth day, for they blessed the Lord. There they blessed the Lord. Therefore, that place is still called the valley of Barakah today. You know, it's interesting. They go out to this valley and they're terrified. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to us? But they're praising God in it. And when they get there, everybody's wiped out. It, it, it's just a plunder for them to take. And they're shocked. I mean, there's so much they can't even hold it. I mean, they're just trying to carry it, you know, for three days. It's all that they can possibly take in. And they call this the Valley of Barakah. It, it's not the valley, valley of the battle. It's the Valley of Barakah. Do you know what Barakah means? It means blessing. What was a place of battle? becomes a place of blessing. What is a place of fear becomes a place of blessing. What is a place of, of confusion becomes a place of blessing. What is a place they did not want to go that they never wanted to move into became the very thing that God used to bless them. Listen, could it be, I'm just asking a question, could it be that the very thing you're afraid of, the thing that you don't want to happen, could be a place of blessing. Maybe a blessing in your life, maybe a blessing in other people's lives. You know, the Bible tells us that God works together all things for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That doesn't mean that all things are good, but it does mean that if we trust God and we walk with him and we praise him along the way, that even the hard things of life, he can turn to be seasons of blessing. Maybe you're in a season of blessing right now. God's been good to you. God's saved you. God's preserved you. God's watched over you. God's healed you. 
God's just poured goodness on your head and it pulls down at your feet. What should you do? Well, look at what, look at what they did. It says in verse 22 that all the men of Judah and Jerusalem turned back with Jehoshaphat, their leader, returning joyfully to Jerusalem for the Lord enabled them to rejoice over their enemies. So they came to Jerusalem in the Lord's temple with harps and lyres and trumpets. You know what they did? They cranked up the band. That's what they did. <laughs> they said, man, God is blessed. Can you believe that? We thought we were dead, right? And then God just, he blessed it. The very thing we were afraid of, God blessed us with, that God is good and they praise God. Listen, has God blessed you? Maybe you're in a seasonal blessing. Praise Him. Talking to one of our church members after one of our services this morning, they said, oh, pastor, I got to tell you what happened this week. My son was in a terrible car accident, just ripped the whole side of the door off the car, but God saved him. He doesn't have scratch on him. I just need to praise Him for that. It's God's blessing. Others have said, you know, we're in a really difficult season. We're really afraid. The outlook doesn't look good. I'm terrified at night, I can't sleep. You know what you do then? You praise God too. In every season, whether it's a season of fear, whether it's a season of conflict, whether it's a season of blessing, it's the time to praise God. You know, Jehoshaphat is just a foreshadowing of an ultimate king. These enemies of Jehoshaphat, this massive army is just a foreshadowing of the ultimate enemy of God's people. And just as Jehoshaphat went out to the battlefield praising uh, God, so Jesus went out into the battlefield to face Calvary, get this, with praise on his lips. He said, what do you mean? Praise on his lips. Well, you remember the upper room? Jesus took the bread, he broke it, he said, this is my body broken for you. Here's the cup, drink all of it. This is my blood spilled out for you. He knew he was going to the cross. He was going to the battlefield and he was gonna be the casualty. He was gonna die in our place. But then Matthew gives us this beautiful verse that says this, as they went out, they went out singing a hymn. Most likely it was of the Psalms of God's faithfulness and God's goodness, many times those were sung antiphonally, which means one would sing and the others would repeat. One would sing and the other would repeat. Now, can you imagine, can you just hear Jesus as he goes out into the darkness, headed down toward Gethsemane, and he's singing about his father's faithfulness. He's singing as he goes to the cross. Why? Because he's singing in his fear. He's singing in his conflict. And he is singing in his, in his blessing so that you and I can do it in ours. What Jesus did on Calvary enables you to be filled with the Spirit, enables you to be a child of God, enables you to call on him and to experience him in every season of life.